Welcome to Big Valley Grace Community Church. If you're in the venue, we are glad that uh, you're a part of our ministry right here at Big Valley. Uh, if you're online with us or catching us on the radio, however you're connecting with us here, we're glad that you've joined us as we continue our series called The Fruit That Makes a Marriage Great. And we've been drawing from Galatians chapter 5, and every week we've started our message by saying it out loud together, and we want to continue that tradition right now. So join me as we say that. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Today we're going to look at two of the fruits that are mentioned in that passage, goodness and gentleness. And uh, we might camp a little bit more on goodness. Uh, gentleness and kindness are kind of synonymous with one another. But we're going to spend some time uh, talking about each of those. And I am one of those guys that happen to think words are important. They mean something. And we should be attentive to our choice of words when we are communicating. And so we're going to start with a couple of definitions. And the first one is this, in our culture, this word good it's been hijacked and changed into something less than what it was originally meant to be used for. Today, good generally means mediocre. How was your hamburger? It was good. Yeah, it, was, it was a good movie. It was all right. I was at a, a, a electronic, one of the big box electronic stores a while back, and I was looking at some products there, and they had a rating system. And you could buy products that were good, better, or best. The lowest rating you could get was good. I thought that was kind of interesting. Why don't they just say semi-cheap and not really that good? <laughs> because that's what we're all thinking. No one wants to buy the good one when we can get the better or the best. So this week I'm prepping this sermon and uh, I go on a internet, that trusted source of truth in our world, and um, I put in, I went looking for sites for reviewing products, and guess what I found? www.goodbetterbest.com. Yep, good was the lowest rating that they gave to a product. Yet God is repeatedly described as good in the Bible. In Psalms 34, it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 105. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And then finally in John 10, in this moment of, of transparency, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. And he has this moment with his disciples and he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus describes himself as good. And then there's this word goodness that Paul uses in, in, in Galatians there. Agathosine. It's a Greek word that's only used four times in the entire New Testament. And it's a closely associated word with the word generosity to others. And so when you think of this word goodness, you, you, there's this implied meaning of a generosity 
towards others. And it is good and it's better and it's best. It's all of those things when lived out for the glory of God. And so good really describes the character of God. God is good. And our other fruit for today's message is gentleness. And it's also been marginalized a little bit as a from character strength to something less than desire. You think of someone as being gentle, especially a guy in our culture, and it connotes a picture of weakness. The New American Commentary has this to say. This word connotes a submissive and teachable spirit towards God that manifests itself in genuine humility and consideration towards others. It is regrettable that the English word gentleness has come to have the popular connotation of a wimpish weakness or non-assertive lack of vigor. As an expression of the fruit of the spirit, gentleness is strength under control, power harnessed in loving service and respectful actions. That's a great picture. But that's not how we look at it in the English language. Now, gentleness is a word that is closely associated with another word in the Greek, which is humility. Gentleness and humility, goodness and generosity, they're kind of synonymous words that are used in that language. And so with those definitions in mind, we're going to uh, take a look at these fruits of the Spirit. In Proverbs, chapter, uh, Proverbs 11, the Scripture says this, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Now, I've been a city boy most of my life. Actually, I was an Air Force-based boy uh, all through growing up. I lived on Air Force bases uh, around the world when I was a little boy. And I have no knowledge of agriculture growing up. I don't believe I ever went to a farm once as a child, ever. And so I didn't know anything about food. Where did vegetables come from? Well, they came from the grocery store, crying out loud. Everybody knew that. And since moving to Modesto now, I've started to learn a little bit about the agriculture as I've moved to more of an agricultural area. And, and uh, i got to confess to you all, I'm still probably one of the most ignorant guys in the building when it comes to farming. So forgive me if I say anything that's wrong. I always thought of pruning as being primary for looks and space management. You know, you, you prune a bush so it looks nice and you, you trim them down so they all have nice, even space to grow in and, and do all of that. But several of my friends who have a farming background have been helping me over the last few years. I, I think they just look at me and shake their heads when I ask them these questions. But they've educated me on the whole issue of pruning and the importance of pruning, especially when you look at trees, okay? We have lots of trees in our area that produce fruit, produce nuts. A properly pruned tree produces the highest possible yield for its size. And that yield, I found out, is, is the amount of and the quality of uh, the, whatever it is you're growing, the product. You know, uh, almonds we'll take in this example. You know, we've got an almond tree there and we want a high yield. We want the most nuts we can get off of that tree and we want them to be the highest quality we can get. And you've got to prune a tree to do that. A properly pruned tree has all of the stunted and dying branches removed. So the energy of the tree is focused on healthy fruit, on the healthy branches that grow lots of fruit that'll yield a lot. And so they go in and they look at the, and they see the branches that are not doing well, and they just cut them out. They trim them off. 
so the tree will produce more. You get rid of some of the tree, so the tree will give you more. And thirdly, a properly pruned tree is getting the maximum amount of sunlight on all of the plant. Sunlight is critical to fruit production. When I first moved here and I drove through Modesto and I'm looking around, I saw all the, the almond trees and they're all kind of shaped exactly the same. And I was like, man, I didn't know trees just grew the same like that, you know? That's amazing. They all grow in the exact same way. I'm telling you, you city boy. And then I found, no, no, they, they, they prune them in a certain way and then they, they want to kind of in the middle there so the sun can get the maximum impact on all of the healthy places so you can maximize your fruit production or almond production in this example. And so husbands and wives, singles, you too. How's your tree doing? Is it producing good fruit or weak fruit? Specifically in the area of gentleness and goodness. Lots of fruit. Not so much fruit. Maybe your tree has been barren lately and not producing anything at all. If your productivity is low, then you probably are not allowing God to do any pruning in your life. You don't want him or anybody else messing with your tree. Just leave me alone, God. I, you know, and this means me. It's, it's about me. It's not what you want to do, God. This is about me. Me and me. I, I want to protect me and keep everything else out. Brian Regan, I don't know if some of you have seen this, does a routine called the me monster. Watch this with me. It's worth it. I was at a dinner party recently. Bunch of people that I don't know. One guy talking plenty for everybody. Me, myself, right? And then I, and then myself, right? Me, me. I couldn't tell this one about I because I was talking about myself, and then me, 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 me. Beware the me monster. So I tried to jump in with a little story. I don't want to just sit there the whole night. Right when I'm done with my story, this guy goes, that ain't nothing. <laughs> oh, well, didn't mean to waste everybody's time. <laughs> Telling my nothing story. Here, let Marco Polo speak. He's back with tales of adventure. My story ain't nothing. Maybe it wasn't, because I made the mistake of trying to tell a story about having only two wisdom teeth pulled, and I learned a lesson. Don't ever try to tell a two wisdom tooth story, because you ain't going nowhere. The four wisdom teeth people are going to parachute in and cut you off at the pass. Halt! Halt with your two wisdom tooth tail! You will never complete one, trust me. I'm trying to tell my story. You know, I had some wisdom teeth pulled. I had, um... I had two, but I had four pulled. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, five, no, nine. I had nine wisdom teeth pulled. All of mine were impacted. They were all coming upside down. The roots were wrapped around my tongue, coming out my nose. They were tusks. I was a warthog. No anesthesia. They pulled them out with pliers. I was eating corn on the cob that afternoon. Oh, you know what I love about that guy? 
He always bases it on reality because there's some truth in that, folks. For all of us, we've all got some of the me monster that comes out of us. I can clearly see myself in conversations as soon as somebody gets in and go, oh, I got one better than that. I've done it. Oh, that ain't nothing. Wait till you hear this. Okay. It's the me monster. It just kind of is natural. And, and I think we all got a little bit from that. How about you when you, you know, come home from work and you walk in and your spouse is there and, uh, you know, you walk in and they're like, uh, man, I had a bad day today. The, the kids were, oh, don't, don't tell me about the bad day today. All right, please spare me the bad day. I had a bad day. I work with 30 idiots from down at the bureau and nobody knows what, you know, and then you just go on and on and on and your poor spouse is sitting there and, you know, and you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. You had a three-year-old to deal with. What's so rough about that? We, we tend to do that. I mean, sometimes, we know, it's part of its human nature and it's true. I'm talking to a coworker, you know, and coworkers, you know, like, man, I had a good month. I sold 14 units this month, 17. I sold 17. 14 is a pretty good number. You ought to be proud of that, but I did 17 units. Now, I'm a pastor, and, uh, you know, I, I, I went to this conference uh, a couple of weeks ago, and, and uh, there was pastors there. There was a bunch of them there. It was a speaking conference, but about half the guys there were pastors. And... Uh, uh, we all get together and we have this little social time at the end of all the teaching and stuff and we hang out and I've learned to be a little more subtle about my me monster because we all gather together and we start talking about our churches and they all start talking, you know, and yeah, oh man, our church is doing great. We got 250 people. I think we're going to hit 300 and I can just eat my little hors d'oeuvre. Oh, our church, yeah, 800. We got 800 at our church. You know, Bobby, what's up with your church? How many people go to your church? Oh, we have 3,500 or 4,000 a weekend. <laughs> me, me. You know, I, I just, you know, I, I don't have to say anything. It'll come around to that because we're pastors and we're all going to share about how God's working wonderfully in our churches. And that's all great. I love it. And it feeds my ego. Of course, until I meet the guy down there and he goes, yeah, I've got 9,000 in my church. Golly, 9,000 people. Crying out loud, everybody knows that 9,000 is too big for a church. 3,500 to 4,000 is the right number. Bunch of egotists over there for crying out loud. See, me people are only interested in one thing, themselves. We all got a little bit of that in us. I mean, I poke fun at it, but we all got some of that in us. Don't prune me, God. I like me the way I am. Don't cause me any grief or make me change. I don't want that discomfort. I like my branches just the way they are. And if my fruit is a little mediocre, so be it. But God wants our tree, to, our tree of life, to have a high yield. That's why he put us here. Not for our benefit, although I submit to you that there is a benefit for each of us that lives out our life, that produces fruit for the glory of God. But he wants us to have a high yield for his glory. That's why he put us here. That's why our tree is here. 
that we would bring glory to God. And so today we're going to look at how we can increase our yield of gentleness and goodness by living a well-pruned life. That's our metaphor that we're just going to deal with today, increasing our yield of gentleness and goodness by living a well-pruned life. And holy pruning always starts with our hearts. It does. Holy pruning always starts with our heart. You've got to have a pruned heart if you're going to go anywhere in this process. It's the critical element in our lives. The other points I'm going to talk about are important. But if your heart isn't right, you will not be able to to consistently live out the fruits of the Spirit. You just won't. A heart for God is focused on bringing glory to God. And that is what's key for us as followers of Christ. And so how do we prune our hearts? We don't. Actually, God does all the pruning. In John 15, it says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it'll be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. God is the farmer and he will do the pruning in our lives. And don't try and fake it before God. I just want to say that straight up. If you're not there, then be honest about it and just say, I'm not there. Don't try and fake this relationship with God. That never seems to go well. In Acts chapter 8, Peter's talking to a man named Simon. He's a man that desperately wants to have the power of the Holy Spirit in him so he can give it away to others. He sees what Peter's doing and he goes before him. Peter, I got to have that. I got to have that. I'm a gazillionaire. Name your price. Whatever you, whatever you want, just let me have it so I can have the same power of the Holy Spirit. And Peter answers him, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. If you ain't got a heart for God, you ain't got nothing when it comes to the fruits of the Holy Spirit. If you ain't got a heart for God, you ain't got nothing. In the Old Testament, God is worn out by Israel and their unfaithfulness, their empty sacrifices, their meaningless rituals. Israel, this is about 25, 2800 years ago, is going through this cycle of, of their, just their hearts not there for God. They do all the things they're supposed to do, but there's no heart there. And in Hosea 6, it says this, this is God speaking through the prophet. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Have you ever been to a wedding, had to buy a gift for someone that you didn't really know or care about? Have you ever had to do that? You don't even know who they are. You got a job at a company six months ago. And the boss's daughter's getting married and he feels obligated to invite you and you feel obligated to go. You've never even met the daughter. She's getting married and you got to buy a gift. All right, honey, go to the register. See what's left that's cheap. Okay. Placemats. Oh, yeah, we can do placemats. Okay. Can we do two? Is two enough? Four? We got to do four? All right. Get four placemats. 
I mean, sometimes you just got to do that. I'm not saying go to your boss if he invites you to his daughter's wedding or anything, but your heart's not really in that. You don't know her. You, you really don't even know him that well yet. And, and so it's different. That's, that's not a gift that you really are excited about giving. Now, how about if it was your daughter? How would you act? How much would you spend on that event? In a couple of weeks, my daughter will be celebrating her first anniversary. And, and, and a year ago, in her marriage, I want you to know, I spent enough money to buy several thousand placemats. <laughs> because it was my daughter, and that meant something to me. That's completely different from some person you don't even know. You see, God was tired of Israel treating him like the boss's daughter. He expects to be the bride at every celebration. And if you're just giving him lip service, it'll probably bleed over into your marriage and into your relationships. I'm not much fan of the saying, fake it till you make it. God doesn't want us to do that. And so how do you allow God to prune your heart? Psalms 19 says this, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinance of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. The law, statutes, precepts, commands, fears, ordinances are all synonymous for a holy reverence for God and his word. The commands they contain, the response they require, the assurances given. God has given us the best pruning shears we could possibly want. It's called the Bible. The word of God. But you have to be willing to be pruned. You have to be willing to let God do that. And sometimes it hurts a little bit. Pruning can hurt. The art of pruning requires cutting off branches that still are part of the plant that need to be trimmed off so the healthy branches can produce fruit. And that means you're going to feel it. The result is good, but the process can be painful sometimes. What are some of the branches that God wants to prune in your life? Anger, control, materialism, distrust, addictive behaviors, dishonesty. The list goes on. But God does not force himself on us like some kind of dictator. That's not how God operates. That's not his character, his love. He's a benevolent father who wants the best for his children. Husbands and wives, I have a challenge for you tonight. Okay, a little challenge. Tonight, before you go to bed, this afternoon, this evening, whenever, I want each of you to write a one or two word description of an area of your life that you know needs to be pruned and give it to your spouse and ask him to pray for you in this matter. Whatever that is, just one or two words. Now, spouses, I don't want you to look at this and say, can I add a couple more for you? Okay, that, you know, that probably maybe could be true, but it might not be very helpful. And so, you know, just, I just want you to take it and say, I will pray for you. Singles, you too, write it down, give it to a friend. 
someone you know and ask them to pray for you in this area. I'm betting most of you, I haven't even finished a paragraph off my piece of paper here, and you already know what that area is. It comes to you like that. Mine did when I was prepping this thing, and I'm writing it out. God just said, yeah, Bobby, yours is unfaithfulness. I want to prune you in the area of unfaithfulness. <clears throat> Darn it, I hate it when I prep a message and God speaks to me. <laughs> but he did. And now it's not unfaithfulness in that I don't believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God or that, that he lived and died and was resurrected from the dead and that I'm saved uh, by grace through my faith in Christ. I believe all of those things. But in the day-to-day -day operation of my life, I tend to, re to resort to self-sufficiency. I like being in charge. Got this, God. Hold up. Woo. -hoo. It's mine. I'll take care of this, God. Don't worry about it. I don't allow God to come in and, and, and I don't trust him to, 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 to be a part of the everyday processes of my life sometimes. And God's pruning me in this area. I can be very self-reliant when God says, Bobby, I'm right here and I want to go through this with you. And so I want to invite you to challenge one, married, single, however you are, identify an area to be pruned in your life and give it to your spouse. And spouses, as I said, take it graciously and simply pray for that, for one another. Singles, get a friend to pray for that. If our heart is being pruned, then the next areas of pruning become a lot easier to deal with. In all of our relationships, especially in our marriage, the second area we need to prune, we need to prune our words, or if you will, have a pruned mouth. Pruned heart, pruned mouth. I've heard Pastor Rick refer to the tongue as the three ounce beast. And I love that picture because it can be an instrument of great harm. And if I'm honest with you, I, I gotta confess there are times when I can be very harsh with my words. Now, I'm going to tell you a little something that you're going to find hard to believe. On a staff of our size, every once in a while, we don't agree with one another. We have discussions. And I had one of those last week with a coworker. I had a hard, some hard words with one of my coworkers. And here's what I want to tell you. I wish I would have handled it differently. I do. I wish I would have handled it differently. Now, we're good. We've talked. We've dealt with that. I don't want you to go, oh my God, the staff's falling apart up there. <laughs> we just had a hard spot and it was not great and I didn't handle it as well as I could have. And I'd like to tell you that I've learned my lesson and that will never happen again in my life. But I think that would be a lie. However, I will say this. I think I'm getting better. I know that. And I know God's pruning me in this area. And I want to get better. See, God cares about what comes out of my mouth, what comes out of your mouth, what comes out of our, uh, our, our mouths towards our spouses and our family. They should be the place where we take the most care with our words. You know what's weird is when I, as all the counseling I do, everything I hear, so unfortunate that the place we have the least respect with our words is in our homes, with our spouse and with our families. Some schmuckoid out there can be the rudest person on the planet in a grocery store or somewhere else and just 
run us over, knock us out of the way, treat us really harshly. And we're like, oh, yeah, that's okay. No problem. Oh, but if our spouse, you know, comes through the kitchen and bumps us and we're in a bad spot. Hey, hey watch where you're going for crying out loud. Well, I didn't lose that much weight. You can't see me. I mean, all of a sudden we can become the most sarcastic, you know, irritated people on the planet with the person that we're called to love the very most. And I've seen that over and over again as I've done counseling and talked with folks. Spouses and family should be really a place of great love and care with our words. James says, out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. I was at this conference a couple weeks ago and, 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 and I've got a roommate. His name's Keith. He's also a pastor. And uh, Keith's actually been to our church and spoken once. And Keith and I, uh, we're on the top floor for whatever reason. We got lucky and we got the top floor room. And this conference is uh, going on. And I'm up in the room one evening and, and, and uh, Keith comes on up and uh, says, you wouldn't believe what just happened. I'm like, what? He goes, well, I walked in the lobby and I got on the elevator to come up to the room and these two ladies came in right when I came in. And one was obviously a little bit inebriated and the other one looked like she'd been partying. She's probably a little bit better. And I'm like, really? And he goes, yeah. And what proceeded was just a bunch of cussing and raunchy talk as they're riding up the elevator. And so they get up to, a, to a, uh, one of their floors and, and the, the more inebriated one is getting off the elevator after all this stuff and turns around as the doors are closing and says, I'll see you at Bible study in the morning. <laughs> Keats was like, ah, ah. <laughs> what do you do with that? That type of hypocrisy. That doesn't work for God very well. That's the type of hypocrisy that really ticked Jesus off. Now, look, I know nobody's perfect. We all have our moments. But I think you get my drift. Our words mean something. Now, our words properly pruned can be an instrument of tremendous good. In Ephesians, Paul says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Husbands, wives, employers, employees, friends. The question is this, what is coming out of your mouth? And one other thought as we go through this, you know, some things may be true, but that doesn't mean they're going to be helpful all the time. I want you to hear that. Some things are true, but they may not be helpful. In other words, just because something's true, maybe where we're at or the situation doesn't mean we should just spit it out right there. What I said last week to my coworker might have been valid. I think I had some valid points. Might have been true, so to speak. But the way I did it was not helpful. It didn't help anything. It didn't improve anything. You see, James gives us some good advice. Choose your words carefully, especially in your marriage. Your spouse deserves the very best from you, and so does your coworkers and your friends. He says, my, James says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, 
slow to speak and slow to become angry. For a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Are you a good listener? That's a good question. Or do you just jump on your spouse's sentence before she gets halfway done and finish it off for her? Boy, none of us have ever done that, have we? Okay. Yeah, we've all done that. If I ask you all to raise your hands and you didn't raise your hand, then I'm calling you out right now. You've got to go in there for confession after the service, okay? <laughs> we've all done that. You just, it's hard to be a good listener sometimes. Listening is probably the most important trait for a good relationship, married or otherwise. And so I've got challenge number two for you, especially for you married folks. You'll love this. Singles, you can do this with a friend, but challenge number two. The next time you guys go out to dinner, just the two of you, and you're going to sit and talk for a while. Maybe you're going to go on a date with somebody and you can ask him to join in on this because this will really enhance your relationship. Trust me in this. I want you each to bring just a little piece of paper. It could even be a sticky and have a pen sitting right there. And so as you're talking, every time your spouse cuts you off, I just want you to pick it up and with a flourish, make a check mark <laughs> so they can see. I want you to have a check mark conversation. Now, here's what I'm going to guarantee. Guarantee you, you won't make more than one or two check marks. And then that'll stop. Because once you realize, oh, my gosh, I, you just see the hand start to go. Oh, go ahead and finish, dear. <laughs> what were you saying? I mean, you can't help it. Have a, I'm serious. Have a check mark conversation with your spouse and watch how it changes the dynamic of your conversation, of your communication, because it will change the dynamic of your communication. I promise you that. And listen, spouses, I don't want any subversive checkmark conversations where you're not going to not be telling your spouse and you're over here going, check, <laughs> check. 17 times tonight, 17 times. Okay? Uh-huh, uh-huh. You cut me off. It may be true, but I doubt it'll be helpful. Have a checkmark conversation with your spouse. See how that goes. See how good you are. This is for about you. How good are you at listening? We allow God to prune our hearts and prune our words and finally prune our activities. That is prune our hands. You want to increase the yield of gentleness and goodness in your marriage and your life. Then you must allow God to help you utilize the time in a manner that provokes gentleness and goodness in our everyday lives and your everyday activities. It goes back to how we see God, others, and ourselves. Remember Rick's uh, 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 teaching a couple, two, three weeks ago when he talked about joy or yoj? Joy. Or are you a joy person or are you a yoj person? Is your priority structure Jesus, others, yourself? Or is it yourself, others, and Jesus? Because that's going to play into these two fruits of the spirit immensely your perspective on things because if you're a yoj person you're basically a hedonist it's all about you you are a me monster you have to be if you're a joy person then gentleness and goodness will come much easier you want to increase that yield in your life in your marriage then let god work through you and be a person of joy Joy people find gentleness and goodness come much more naturally than yoge people. In his letter to the church of Philippi, Paul wrote this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests 
of others. You could literally do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in gentleness consider others better than yourselves. You could just trade that out right there. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the goodness of others. That's the intent of that passage. It aligns up perfectly with what we're talking about. In Ephesians 5, 21, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This submitting is a voluntary, voluntary yielding of ourselves to another. We hate that word submit. We just grew up in a society now that says that's wrong. No, no person should ever submit to another, but the scripture says submit to one another. Wives, submit to your husbands that is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. There's this sense of we both are living in our marriages for the betterment of the other, not ourselves. In all our relationships, especially in our marriage, our activities mean something. What we do means something. In our marriage, are we looking to the interests of our spouse and family first or at work or at play? How are you going to act? Not only can you say a truth and it not be helpful, you can do good. And it not be helpful. And this comes back to the whole issue of gentleness. Listen, taking the trash out, just taking the trash out. It can be a loving act of service or it can be a glaring indictment. <laughs> oh, we come home, the trash is sitting right there by the can. You don't have to say anything. You just grab it and walk out the door and throw it in the garbage can and walk back in. You don't even greet your spouse. This simple acts mean something. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm guilty of being a trash me monster on occasion there. You see, that's where gentleness comes in. Gentleness is born out of humility and is strength under control. It abides deeply for others and is demonstrated in the simplest of acts. It's those little things that you can demonstrate gentleness. You can live out goodness. Challenge number three, demonstrate gentleness and goodness to others. Together, find the place to exercise your gentle goodness in the life or lives of another. I don't know what that looks like for the thousands of people that were here this weekend. It changes for everybody. You got an aunt in a nursing home? Go and spend the afternoon and watch a movie with her. When's the last time somebody spent three hours with her and actually stayed the whole three hours? Watched the whole movie, even though she slept through half of it. <laughs> and were there when she woke up. A neighbor whose husband's just walked out. What can you do? Serve somewhere in our community at the, uh, uh, the gospel mission or the pregnancy center. There's a ton of other places. Right here at Big Valley Church, we had Orange Weekend and we were talking about serving in our children's ministry. The key is here, together, find a place to exercise your gifts. Would you do something together, couples? For you in marriages, I want you to do something together. There are opportunities galore. Just Go out and bear that fruit of gentleness and goodness. I promise you the reward you receive will be just as powerful as the grace that you give. Challenge number one, identify an area to be pruned. Challenge number two, checkmark conversation. I need to see some postings on Facebook about that, please. <laughs> Challenge number three, demonstrate gentleness and goodness to others. A month ago, the city came through and did some pruning at my house. I have an alley, and along the back of my house is 
uh, kind of trees. I've got trees all along there, and they just block out the back, and so it's, 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 it's really nice. And on the other side of the fence, right in the middle, there's a telephone pole that belongs to the city. Now, my trees weren't wrapped around that telephone pole, but apparently we were in the telephone pole's space <laughs> because the city came down and sheared two of my trees right down the side. They would call it pruning. I would call it butchery. And they left this gap. Now I have these two beautiful walls of trees with an excellent view of a telephone pole <laughs> out my back door. It's ugly and it's unproductive. And that's not what God wants for your life. It's not. He sees your tree and he sees the areas that need pruning. He has everything in place so he can gently perform a good work in your life. It is my prayer that this week, this summer, you will look to God and ask him to get out the shears. Take a chance. See what your life can yield. Father, as we uh, go from this place, we invite you into uh, our tree. Or at least I do. Lord, sometimes I think there's so much dead wood in there, I don't know how there's any fruit at all. But come, Lord Jesus, do what you do best in my life. And I pray that for my brothers and sisters in this room. Lord, I see some lives, and I know you've done some, a lot of pruning. And it hadn't always been easy, but I see the fruit. And I know there's some folks sitting here going, yeah, I need more pruning. I just got a lot of unhealthy branches, things that need to be trimmed off. And so, Lord, I say, come. I pray that. I ask that. And work in our lives, Lord. We want to yield the highest amount of fruit we can for the glory of God. That means we need your help. And so we invite the Father into our lives, the farmer, the vine dresser, to do those things, that the result is the highest yield possible for the glory of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Thank you.